it feels like this, um, like I'm on this like spinning productive wheel and I need to get more and more and more and more things done. And it's almost like if I can just like make the list and do the things and like schedule the appointments and cancel this and move that, like, then I will get to where I need to go. And then like, Mm -hmm. I will have control of every aspect of my life. I think it's like hand in hand with like feeling out of control and then um, trying to control like these very random things that honestly don't usually matter. Um, but when I start to get worked up about these things and I feel the spinning, I'm like, you're going so fast. Your brain is going so fast. You need to slow this down. Hey, hey, this is Dr. Kavita's son. Welcome to the Emotional Mastery Podcast. This podcast is about emotions, psychology, and relationships. Every week, I'll be sharing real-life tools to help you build self-awareness, a better relationship with yourself, and more fulfilling relationships with the people that matter to you. Listen, this is the foundation on which the rest of your life is built. So let's take the time to get it right. I'll see you on the inside. All right. Well, welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Emotional Mastery Show. We are so excited to be with you. It's another Thursday, although we're recording this on a Thursday as well. So next Thursday, we'll be having part two going live. Um, So in part one of self-compassion, first of all, this is the first time that I've actually done a podcast in two parts. It goes to show how important this topic is and how nuanced this topic is. It is so, um, I used to think of self-compassion as a sort of one and done, homogenous one way of doing it, right? And it's only in the last few years that I've recognized that there are so many steps and nuances inside self-compassion and that as you practice it, you get to know the parts where you may need to bolster a little bit or get extra support or talk to someone to help yourself through one of those steps. So I'm, I'm glad that we're doing part two. And today we wanted to actually share with you guys, the listeners, our own practices, the things that have helped, because again, because it's so nuanced and personal, what helps me comes from my own um, struggles, my own history, the places where it may be a little bit harder for me to step over my self-critical voice. And that's different for Erica. So we want to share some of our own ways that we have learned to map out self-compassion for ourselves and also talk about our own growth edges where we are still sort of like practicing, falling, getting up, dusting off, learning and course correcting because as long as I'm alive, I hope I'm learning. (laughs) So, well, um, as a quick review of part one of self-compassion. In the first episode, we talked about what is self-compassion. We defined it. And more importantly, I think we talked about what it isn't. Because I, for one, had a lot of misconceptions, including the, it is a pity party. It's a way of, you know, getting myself off the hook for my own mistakes and instead of owning up to it, right? Uh, So it's been helpful for me to realize that that is not what we're talking about when we're talking about self-compassion. We also touched on why do we all struggle so much? We've learned a lot about self-compassion. It's in the 
stratosphere now. We smell it and hear it and listen to it or talk about it, but we still struggle to practice it. Why? And so we talked about the obstacles and how do we manage those obstacles. And then we talked about the three components of self-compassion from Kristen Neff, who is an amazing researcher and scientist who has spent her life studying self-compassion, written extensively about it. And we talk about the three steps that she outlines and the sort of surprise, delightful surprise for Erica and I, as we recognized, as we started learning about Kristen's work, we realized that her three steps are what we teach in our programs without even recognizing. We didn't know that it just, we called the different names, we were exactly the same three steps. And so that was really um, beautiful for us to, it's like coming full circle. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go listen to that episode first. So you have some context for what we're gonna be talking about today. So with that, Erica, so good to see you again, my friend. Hi, we're <laughs> back. Always. Yes, we're back. Likewise, Kavitha, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure, yes. So today we're going to talk about sort of some of our ways of introducing and living with mindful self-compassion. I want to start with some of your practices. I would love to know how do you include or remind yourself or walk through self-compassion? That is such a great question, Kavita. And, you know, I think the first step for me really is tuning into my body because my body tells me what I need. And I think one of the hardest parts is for years, I tuned out what my body needed. I think, you know, a career in medicine, I frequently put a call schedule or, you know, somebody else's needs. I was a, also a mother during training and all of these challenges. So I, I think I sort of heard the buzzing, but learned how to ignore what my body needed in the moment um, to put it off to the future. But especially the older I get, and I'd like to think the wiser I get, I really realize that that just shows up with other consequences later. And I know that I need to slow down, figure out what my body needs and act in the moment. And sometimes that means telling someone or asking someone for a little more time to do something because, you know, I think that, uh, sometimes say it's like, I'm about to start a surgical case, but I'm hungry and I need like five minutes to like eat my almonds. So my blood sugar doesn't drop during the case. Like if I were the patient, I would want that, you know, I would want my doctor to have eaten something right before. Um, but it's like giving myself permission, like noticing, Oh, you're a little hungry. You're a little thirsty, like attend to those needs and then carry on. Beautiful. Uh, So much stood out to me just in that. Yes, listening to our bodies. Many of us have been taught and sort of socialized almost to ignore our body cues in the service of, even, even my daughter, right? She's in kindergarten. And she was telling me the other day that they have, in preschool, they had a two hour nap. And during that time, they were not allowed to get up to pee which is very interesting to me. Wow. Why? Right? Why are we socializing kids that young to ignore their body impulses and not only socializing them, but even telling them that good kids ignore their body and bad kids don't, right? Wow. So we're getting these messages right and left, right from very, very young. So no wonder by the time we're in a caregiving profession of, you know, if we choose a profession where we're interacting with others and caregiving, we very much pride ourselves on switching off our own needs. 
Um, and you mentioned something that really stood out to me, which is the first step is slowing down enough to notice. You said noticing and slowing down. Can you elaborate on that, Erica? How did you, how do you, how do you even slow down and notice? So that's a great question. So I think that as it's like a positive feedback cycle. So the more I pay attention to what I need, like we're even talking like basic physical needs, hunger, sleep, thirst, rest, like all those things, the more, the more I feel I'm growing into the person I need to be and the less I'm dishonoring myself. And so when I start my day every day, I start every day with just five to 10 minutes of meditation every day. That's when I center myself and I say, okay, this is an opportunity for another day on this earth. And what matters the most to me and how am I going to live out this day? No matter what comes before me. Yes. Right. And if my well is completely empty, then I know I'm going to be more irritable. I'm going to be, um, you know, more frustrated, it is not going to, I'm not going to be in the flow of the day and I'm not going to be able to help people Mm -hmm. to the best of my ability either. And I think sometimes when I start to run on empty, I start to feel inauthentic, which is like, (laughs) for me, that's like a cardinal sin. That's like, whoa, like stop right there. Uh, you know, take three steps back and reevaluate because for me, one of my core values is authenticity. And so the two go hand in hand for me. So if I, I've learned to pay attention to that still small voice, as we call it, like that little something is off. And sometimes I don't know what's off, but I know now that I need to pursue it so as not to dishonor myself. Beautiful. Right. Yes. Love that. So what I do is in the moment I say, okay, so something feels off. um, I might, you know, go to the restroom for a little personal space, take a deep breath and just like tune in and say, okay, what do I need right now? And even like AA has that halt, mm-hmm. hungry, angry, lonely, tired. It's kind of a version of that, um, you know, to just check in with myself. But I do think that slowing down is a practice and I've really only gotten better at it in the last six months. However, I've noticed the opposite. When I don't slow down, mm-hmm. I avoid, I ignore I sometimes even pretend what I lie to myself without even realizing I'm lying to myself. Yes. And then I start to realize that I'm off kilter and that's when I need to bring myself back. So that's really it is that the slowing down benefits me so much that I know it is what I need. And at some level it's become non-negotiable and it, it, it could be like 30 seconds. We're not talking like carve out an hour and meditate in the backyard of your clinic. Like that's not it at all. It's just like, when you start to feel off balance, pay attention. And in these very microscopic ways, rebalance yourself so that you don't fall off the seesaw. Beautiful. You know, um, to piggyback on that, I think one of the things that has helped me in the last, just very recent, I would say maybe in the last three or four years is that I have become more aware of how I tend to think and feel when I'm off kilter. I didn't even know that before. So I would believe those thoughts instead of recognizing them as a signal that I'm off kilter. Right. So for me, um, for example, in my relationships, 
I will tend to make excuses for why I haven't been in touch. That's one mm. of my that's one of my thought patterns that I know tells me that I'm off kilter, right? So I think building awareness first about how do I even know when I'm off kilter? What does that sound like in my brain? What does that feel like in my body? What do I act like? Do I, am I ruminating more? Am I more on social media? Am I more irritable with other people? Am I missing breakfast and telling myself that that's just the price of, you know, having a career and being a, a parent? What are those signals that even can tell you that you're off kilter? Slowing down enough to even notice that will give you like a shortcut for not getting lost in that track because beforehand I used to just believe it and be like, well, yeah, no, that I'm just too busy to contact my friends. And that is the truth. Right. <laughs> so I, I really like your slowing down enough to build awareness so you can say I'm off kilter and then right. start making that non-negotiable. Yeah. And you know, it's so interesting you say that and thank you for sharing. I think the more we can share examples from our yes. own lives, the more, practical and applicable and relatable it is, you know, for me, it feels like spinning. Wow. It feels like this, um, like I'm on this like spinning productive wheel and I need to get more and more and more and more things done. And it's almost like if I can just like make the list and do the things and like schedule the appointments and cancel this and move that, like, then I will get to where I need to go. And then like, mm. I will have control of every aspect of my life. I think it's like, hand in hand with like feeling out of control and then, um, trying to control like these very random things that honestly don't usually matter. Um, but when I start to get worked up about these things and I feel the spinning, I'm like, you're going so fast. Your brain is going so fast. Yeah. You need to slow this down. And when I stop that, I, I have awareness that that's what I'm doing. And that I remind myself, cause it's all the story I tell myself, I could tell myself, Oh, that appointment really matters. Or I could say it actually doesn't, you know, um, when I can realize that and break that cycle, slow it down, then I can have the clarity of like, well, of these five things I'm trying to get done, like what could wait six months and what needs yeah. to be done in this moment? Right. Absolutely. hundred percent. I love it. And in our programs, we often call this becoming your own primary caregiver. Mm -hmm. We, like to think of self-care as being like taking a bubble bath or going for a massage or, you know, as Erica was saying, doing an hour of meditation in the backyard in this perfect, you know, situation. But thinking about being your own primary caregiver, a primary caregiver is not, um, you know, planning a trip to Hawaii. What they're doing is noticing that the child or the baby needs to pee, needs a diaper change, needs, is hungry, is rattled and needs to be held, right? Um, so it's very small things. And as you were saying, 30 seconds is all it takes to build that relationship with yourself. Yes. I love it. And one of the other things that um, I found really helpful is when I have noticed so let's say I have noticed those thoughts and that, that pattern, and I'm like, whoa, there it is, I'm off kilter. It helps me to go through what I call name it, normalize it, and humanize it, right? So I like to just pause enough to name my feelings because usually 
I am naming and believing the story and not the actual feeling. So I feel like no one cares. I feel like I'm alone in this world. I feel like how much ever I do, my to-do list will never be over. Those are not feelings. They're the story. So it helps me to come back and say, okay, given that that's the story in my brain, what am I actually feeling? And just naming, oh, I'm feeling anxiety. I'm feeling loneliness. I'm feeling overwhelmed. Just naming that tends to take it down a notch. And then normalizing it and saying, normalizing it to me sounds something like, that makes sense. That makes total sense that I'm feeling overwhelmed right now. We've just moved. We have uh, a five-year-old and summer is about to end. And we have all of these camps and things coming up. Of course, it makes sense that I feel overwhelmed. Right. And then humanizing it. The way that it's worked best for me, and I think people have to experiment, and I'd love to hear how you um, humanize it for yourself, Erica. But for me, it helps me to zoom out and think about how many people on this street where I'm living, how many people on this street right now, whether they're in their yard or in their kitchen or in their bathroom, are feeling a sense of overwhelm? How many people in this block? How many people in this city? Right. And I can feel the fact that we're all in this together. We're having a human experience. And that also, like, it's a sense of shame and loneliness that makes it really hard for us. And removing shame and removing loneliness gives us a a handle on it. Okay. I got this. It's a human experience. Other people have felt it. It is anxiety or worry. I felt that before. I can hold this in my hand. I'd love to hear your take on what I just shared and, and whether you have a process for in the moment. Yes. So I love that you said that, Kavita. And that's not a practice I currently have yet, but it's one I want to adopt because I think it's so wise to really, we can, our worlds can get so small. Yes. Um, and uh, even yesterday, I was like feeling sorry for myself yesterday morning. And I just said hello to a man in an elevator. And I was like, how are you today? And he said, I am so blessed. And I looked at him and I thought, you know what? I am too. <laughs> like, I just like, I, I, I think that like, I looked at him, he looked a little sad. And so I thought like, I'm feeling a little sad. Like I'm just going to say good morning to him. Um, and maybe we'll connect in our misery. And, uh, it actually like flipped the script in, in a way that like, we, like it was, he initiated the, the positive. I mean, obviously I'm not for toxic positivity, but we just had this nice moment of human connection. So I think what I routinely do in my life is I have um, my best friend, Jenny, and we have been gratitude buddies for the last five years. Wow. Yeah. We connected in our divorces and every single day she asked me like five years ago, do you want to be my gratitude buddy? And I was like, what's a gratitude buddy? And she sent me an article about people who were sharing three gratitudes a day with another person. And this is interestingly right before COVID, right? Because that's when we all got like super isolated. Yep. But she said, we commit to each other to share three gratitudes a day over text and, um, and, you know, let's trial it, you know, like this is not a long-term commitment. Let's just like, see how it goes. And what, what I didn't realize in the moment is that that gave me a friend to share, not just my gratitudes, but then like life's complexities, life's struggles, life's hardships, because all of that is wrapped up in the gratitudes. Like I'm grateful that when I had a flat tire, that AAA came quickly. And, you know, like all these things that really like made us part of each other's fabric of of our lives. And so like, 
even this week, I messaged her and we call this emotional sobriety, mm-hmm. which I think is like, we have to name it, right? We have to say what it is. I and then we normalize. Too. Oh, oh my I gosh. Really. I love it. Because yes. I am, I like used to be the queen of like, it's fine. Everything's fine. Like, you know, and just like giving this sort of superficial version of like, that wasn't really the truth at all. Just because it was like, number one, I was like lying to myself. And number two, even if I did have an inkling that things weren't going well, like, oh, people don't want to hear that. And that's like too much to go into anyway. Right. So what it did is it, it like created this channel in this welcome space for us to say like, oh, actually, this is how I'm feeling today. Actually, I'm feeling hurt by X, Y, Z. Actually, I'm feeling lonely. Um, this is what's really going on for me. And that like vulnerability and honesty. Yes. So there's, you're right. There's the naming, there's the normalizing and then the humanizing. And like, even today I messaged Jenny and said something. I'm trying to even remember what it was. See, like this process allows us to let it go. Yes. Right. So I, I can't even remember. And like she said, it makes so much sense that you feel that way. And just by saying that, it like lost its power. Oh my God, a hundred percent. Yeah. And that's what we do in our in our programs yes. too. I mean, I think the small groups, the community, the accountability partners, like you're right, it decreases the shame. Yes. It gives us a place to share. And it's like, oh my gosh, it's not just me. Like, not me, just you know, I'm not the only one who struggles in this way. And then we lift each other up. It's it's like 100%. the most amazing thing. We grow not just individually, but we grow in community. Hundred percent. I think that human beings we are designed and we need connection, yeah, and belonging, and a sense of being seen, and yes. also to see another person is also a human need. We. It's not just that I need someone to see me. I feel good when I've given that to someone as well. That's right. That's right. Um, which is why things like writing a gratitude letter helps us so much, the writer. Yeah. Right? Because just acknowledging that that we see the best in somebody else actually uplifts us. So um yeah, the the sense of the name it, normalize and humanize it that I was talking about, you do exactly that, and you're actually doing it in community because you're doing it with Jenny, which yeah adds that sense of being seen and seeing another person. I love that. I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to my best friend and, and uh, invite her to gratitude buddies. It's the most beautiful thing. And you know what? I I've been thinking about this a lot and I think my ability to be authentic and honest with Jenny has been such a beautiful, safe space. And that really, along with our programs that we've done has then allowed me to be honest and vulnerable with other people in my life. Like whether it's the person at the grocery store who asked me how my day is going or whether it's my children, you know, I think at some level it's like, Oh, you know, you're don't show quote unquote weakness, Mm -hmm. you know, with your children. Oh no, actually I'm going to show them I'm a human being. And this is how I'm dealing with the human things, you know? So I think that it spills over into every aspect of our lives when we're able to learn how to, and I'm not talking like the overshare. That's not what I'm talking about at all, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's more about how we can, be honest with ourselves and to share that in our safe spaces with our safe people. Totally. This reminds me, one of the things that, and I didn't realize I was doing it until you just mentioned the um, normalizing with somebody else in the safe space. One of the things that I've consistently tried to do is when my daughter is struggling and we name a feeling we say you are you feeling mad are you feeling upset or whatever 
And she recognizes one of those and says, yes. One of the things that I've taken to doing is saying, I get it. I felt that before. Yeah. Um, before I go into trying to fix it. Right. And I think it's really helpful for all of us to feel like even the most difficult emotions that we may be having, we have somebody that can say that's not weird. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I think too, your process of the naming, the normalizing, the humanizing, that removes that really terrible layer of self-judgment. Yes. Because I think that that is at the heart of self-compassion is realizing how much we may be judging ourselves, even for feeling a certain way, like, oh, I shouldn't be mad or, oh, I, I shouldn't feel tired or I shouldn't feel, you know, whatever emotion we think we shouldn't be feeling. And one of the things I've learned through our programs is actually a feeling is just an energy in motion. It will pass just like everyone. We only know the other feelings because of the contrast with, you know, the feeling at hand. And um, it's just given me a lot of perspective, but dropping the self-judgment, I think is it's, it's not easy at first because I, I will speak for myself. I'm so programmed to be doing that. Mm-hmm. And then when I start to learn how not to do it, to have the awareness that I'm doing it and say, actually, do I need to be judging myself right now? No. Like it just, it's, it stops the suffering. Yes. hundred percent. Okay. And then we also um, wanted to touch on mirror work. So that's one of the things that has been really helpful for both of us. We do it in different ways, but we both, uh, before the podcast were, we were touching, uh, you know, just acknowledging how talking to ourselves in the mirror and how we do that creates a certain relationship with ourselves because we can actually see our reflection and it's a little bit more real than just talking to yourself or journaling you there's a back and forth. So I'll share how I do it. And I'd love to hear Erica, your process. But one of the things that I've struggled with is the idea of saying something encouraging or cheerful or um, positive, quote unquote, or nice to yourself in the mirror. I tried that for a while. And some days I could do it. And some days felt like I was being disingenuous, which, you know, as you point out, authenticity is something that I want to hold close as a value. And so I always struggled with that. But then I shifted it. And now all I do when I see myself in the mirror is just say, hey, you, I'm glad to see you. And that to me, I can, I can hang my hat on even if I'm feeling overwhelmed, irritated, um, even annoyed myself or something or whatever it is that's happening that day, I can hang my hat on that sort of a, a nod, a friendly nod to myself. And since I've been doing that, it actually feels good. Instead of, especially as women, we've been socialized to judge our body in the mirror, right? A mirror can be a traumatic relationship for many of us. And so it has helped remove the focus on what is wrong. Is my hair right? Am I, did I gain weight? Did I lose weight? Da, da, da. And just acknowledging a friend in the mirror. Um, I'd love to hear how you use mirror work. Oh, that's such a beautiful 
question. And I love what you do. And I've actually adopted that recently. And that's really brought so many good things into my life. So thank you for that. I suggest all of our listeners give it a try and see how it goes. Um, But as I've shared before on the podcast, I struggled with a terrible eating disorder throughout my youth, uh, starting in high school through college. And I had a very complicated relationship with mirrors and I was competitive athlete and, you know, all of it. So I'm Catholic and one Lent, I actually gave up mirrors. Like that was, you know, you're supposed to give up something like, you know, chocolate or whatever else to kind of just as a sacrifice, um, for purity. And, um, I gave up mirrors because I was like, this is what's holding me back from living me. Cause every time I do an up and down and I have the judgment and all of that. So that broke part of the spell. Yeah. Right. But what I've realized over time is that part of when I know I'm off kilter is when I spend more time looking in the mirror critically ah. and judging my body. So my, my difficulty with body image is one of my barometers to say, Hmm, what's really going on? Yep. And, you know, and, and where do you need to feel more love? Where do you need to feel more divine connection and support? Um, so I just wanted to mention that now what I love to do in the mirror is I love to look deeply into my own eyes. You have beautiful eyes. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I love connecting with my own eyes because that is the way that I can reach my own soul. Mm. So just like you giving yourself a friendly nod, I remind myself of my inherent divinity. I remind myself how much I matter and not in a false way in a like, wow, like here's your power. It's not in whatever size you are. It's not in your curves. It's not, you know, in any of that in this moment, I'm like, hi, I'm here. We're here. And here I am. I mean, I, I told you I turned 40 this weekend and I'm embodied. Like I have been in this body for almost 40 years. That is just like amazing to me. And so when I, Louise Hay writes a lot about this too. And so I had done some of her work for a good year. I would say her mirror work of like repeating mantras in the mirror. But I think now it's just looking deeply into my own eyes and acknowledging my soul. Mm-hmm. Because when I start to worry about all the other stuff, um, it really brings me back to my my core and my truth. That, that's something special. Um, the Just the sheer magic of being alive in this moment, right? Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Yes. I love it. All right. So we shared some of the ways that we've tried to make this concept of self-compassion actually come alive in our day-to-day lives and try to interweave it in those moments where our own histories and our own brains may make it extra hard for us in certain aspects. Um, I'd love to touch on, and we promised that we would share what our own growth edges are. Where is it that we're still sort of like getting up and taking a few steps and maybe stumbling some days, which I think is really where the beauty is, right? That's really where our humanity is. So I'd love to hear your growth edge, Erica. Thank you for asking. So I am so excited that there's so many different parts of my life right now. I get to be a mom to two awesome boys. I get to be a life coach with you and your amazing programs. It's so gratifying. And then I get to be an infertility specialist. 
some of the other times. And some days I do all of these things. And some sometimes it's more clustered into blocks of time. And so I think for me, transition time is what I'm really trying to work on because even if it's like 15 minutes in between a meeting to like get my brains right, like refocus myself, remind myself what kind of a mode and what kind of energy I want to show up with, that even little bit of time makes me feel like grounded and not as frantic and flustered as sometimes I can be when I just pack things in. And I think even if we have singleness of purpose, it's a good idea too, you know, to kind of allow some breathing room in our days. Nobody knows what's going to come up. Like I said, even like 10 or 15 minutes between meetings, you know, sometimes can be so helpful. Uh, But I think for me, especially as I transition between and among the roles in my life, Mm -hmm. I need to be very gentle with myself, um, really, because I just know that I need that extra tenderness. Totally. I like the um, distinction of roles in our lives as transition points. Yeah. Uh, hadn't quite thought about it like that, but that is so true. Uh, I, I try to have a transition between my workday and going downstairs, but it's actually not the, the time. It is the switch in roles. Um, yes. So really helpful. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Well, my own growth edge one of the one of the stories that I have carried around because I really did struggle with it in the past. And then, you know, sometimes we struggle with something and then we feel bad about it. And then we sort of continue that as if it's a it's an identity and that it cannot be shaken. And so it becomes one of the things that you think about yourself. And one of the things that I uh, think about myself is that I might say, oh, in my intimate relationships, I might say okay to something. And then, and really mean it in that moment, and then have second thoughts later. And obviously, this has caused hurt to my partner in the past. And nowadays, I'm very aware of that, but that story still is with me. And so I am very sensitive to any time that I might change my mind. I I almost have a rule that I cannot change my mind. Um, because of the story. So anyway, earlier today, we had, um, we, we were having a conversation about something that's important to my spouse and I, and at the end of it, I genuinely felt at that moment that I'd come to a good place. And then later, maybe about an hour later, some other feelings came up for me that I wanted to share and I had such a hard time even bringing myself to share the, the feeling because of my fear that I was changing my mind. Oh, my God, here I go again. And, you know, I can't rely on my own decisions. And what's wrong with me? And, you know, is it was I not authentic then or am I not being authentic now? Which is it? So I was going back and forth in my mind, really sort of berating myself. And it took a while, but I finally was able to say, gosh, like you're really hurting yourself. Just take a second here. What is happening here? And I realized that the the feeling I was having was guilt. It was coming from the past, actually, not from now. And normalize it. Yes, it makes sense that I would have these feelings given the past and my genuine intention to be a good partner in the present. It's It's because of my good intention that I'm having and my guilt from the past. Okay. That's normal. 
right? And to recognize that everybody changes their mind sometimes, or even has second thoughts or feelings that come up after a conversation. And that alone doesn't mean anything. That's a human tendency to want to have a continuing conversation after more thoughts come in your mind. So once I was able to go through that and give myself some grace, I actually was able to go back and talk to Kristen without getting into a, well, I'm changing my mind. It was, I was able to say, I'm having some additional thoughts. And can I share those with you? Are you open to that right now? This is a growth edge for me, meaning I maybe I'm able to have compassion for myself and pivot in the direction of my values, maybe one in three times. It's still somewhere that I fall a lot and need to dust myself off. But I love it. I love that there is a growth edge because that means that I'm alive and aware and I'm growing. That's a good thing. Um, but I wanted to share that because just yesterday I was talking to one of our clients and she said to me, Kavita, do you ever spin out in your mind? And I said, Mm. every day, every single day, because I'm human, it's going to happen. The only difference is what I do after. (laughs) Okay. That I recognize it. And there's a little bit quicker time for self-compassion and repair. But the fact that I have a human brain is never going away. Right. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to share that so that our listeners can know through both of our stories that your brain is going to do its brain thing. And your goal is to develop tools to take care of yourself, to be kind to yourself, and then pivot in the direction of your values as often as you humanly can. Yes. And you know what I love about what you said? I mean, so many things, but what struck me in the moment was when you said, I realized I was harming myself. Yes. And I think that that awareness, you know, that, that notion of ahimsa, which is not doing self-harm. Once we realize we're doing harm to ourselves, then we can pause and figure out how to stop doing that harm. And it, I mean, it takes complexity to say, I have additional thoughts. It's, it's much easier to like make a rule and just stick to the rule because that's, that feels safe, right? Like I'm just sticking to my word. Um, But I think it's just, it's, it's a beautiful thing to be able to change your mind about something and articulate that because yes, you have values and sometimes your values conflict with each other and you're growing and you're changing and, you know, and, and your intention, I always think like, what is my intention? My partner, I talk all the time about positive intent. Yes. You, you have positive intent and that is the most important thing. Yes. Even if your skills may not match your intent in that moment and you need to get support and you know we often talk about there's such value in doing this in community. Yes. I would not have gotten to where I am now given where I began because we all begin in different places. Given where I began, I only am where I'm at because of the people that helped me along the way that I reached out for help with and surrounded myself with. I could not have done this on my own. So, and and maybe I could have, but I would have suffered a lot more along the way, right? Um, And caused a lot more suffering. So I want to end with saying, and and Erica, I want to hear your thoughts about how community for me 
Community has been one of the main ways that I've reduced suffering in myself and also reduced suffering in, you know, when we are suffering, we project that suffering. Yes. We cause suffering as well, right? When we are suffering within and community has been a huge part of me um, showing up more and thus creating the life I want. Yes. I wanted to hear your perspective as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I shared when I was struggling with uh, my eating disorder way back when, it was through a gr- small group, you know, a spiritually based small group that we all healed together. And it's there's power in the group. There's power when one person feels strong, they can help the person who may not feel as strong that day, or just the the reflection of beauty and common humanity that we can't sometimes, sometimes we can do it for ourselves, but sometimes we can't. Yes. And, and I, I think we're, we are sometimes mirrors for each other. That's right. In a way. And I, I absolutely believe that we, it's, it's, it's non-negotiable to have a a loving community. It's like the tribe. We talk about finding your tribe. And I'm so very grateful I found our tribe because I definitely would not have grown in the ways that I have uh, and continue to grow you know, outside of our, our safe, supportive community. Me too. So, Me too. so let's invite people to the boundary challenge. Cause that's, yes. that's one of the things I've learned about the most. And that's a great way to enter into our, to our community is yes. this free challenge. We do these periodically, usually about quarterly and they're so much fun. It's how I got into this, uh, this community actually. And every time there's a different topic about relationships or emotional mastery and, uh, one thing that kept coming up in our conversations with our clients was that people really struggle, I mean, even to have the word in the vocabulary, first of all. Yes. And then once it's there, what does that mean? How can I have a boundary without really harming another person or myself? And 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 what is it and, and how do I use it? So we decided to do a three-day webinar slash challenge where mm-hmm. we meet in community, we have live meetings. And, um, and Kavitha will go into detail about her methodology of how she defines a boundary and how we can use loving, flexible boundaries to enrich our lives and enrich the lives around us. Yes, guys, it's going to be so much fun. We love, I love doing challenges. Oh, it's so much fun. Yeah. So much fun. <laughs> it like fills me with energy. Um, we, we laugh a lot. We learn a lot together in community. Hundreds of people usually come to our challenges. We have a free challenge starting October 7th. I was up August, not October, August 7th. Yeah. August 7th, August 7th, 8th and 9th of 2023. So just in another couple of weeks, the link to register for the challenge is in the show notes. It's completely free. Once you register, it'll show you where the live meetings will happen. And even if you can't make it live, you will get all the replays and lots and lots of additional bonuses and trainings and all kinds of fun things we have planned for you. You, As long as you register, you'll get access to all of those and they're yours for life. So come and join us. You'll learn a lot. You'll grow. I mean, really, it it will change your life if you can show up for it. So we'd love to see you there. The link is in the show notes. And Erica, thank you again for such a fun I mean I've taken so many notes just from me too Kavitha (laughs) seriously I mean this is this is part of our community as we help each other learn and grow and it's it's such a beautiful thing really and you know as I sometimes I think to myself like even if you're not like next to me or like you know I'm in a meeting I think like what would Covey say right now and it you know it just it just helps me so much 
Me too. I, 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 I was telling Kristen, like one of the things that I feel is that you are with me, even when you're not like, trust that. And that's, that's such a, I'm deeply indebted and grateful for our friendship. So thank you. Me too, Kavi. All right. Take care, everybody. And we'll All right. Love you, Pod Squad. Talk to you soon. Bye. 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 If this podcast means something to you, it would mean so much to me if you'd be willing to take 30 seconds to do one or all of these three things. First, can you follow or subscribe to Emotional Mastery? Following the podcast helps you because you'll never miss an episode, and it helps us because you'll never miss an episode. So to do this, just go to the Emotional Mastery show page on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and tap on the plus sign on the top right corner or click on the button that says follow. This is the most important thing for the podcast to reach more people. And while you're there, if you'd be willing to give us a five-star rating and a review and share an episode you love with a friend, I'd be so grateful. We appreciate you very, very much. Thank you.